morning, and uh, welcome to River Glen. Welcome, everybody. Great to see you. So great to be together with you here in, in Waukesha, those of you on the other side of the camera, in Pewaukee, and, and those of you uh, joining us online, great to have you with us. I want to um, get started today by making an assumption. I'm going to just go ahead. I'm going to assume that uh, all of us deal with stress. Yeah, if you deal with some stress, and you're like, nod your head for me if you deal. Yeah, that's what I thought. Pretty safe assumption. And so here's the question. How do you deal with it? When you feel anxious, uh, worried, frustrated, where do you turn for help to get through it? Here's a great idea. Here's some great guidance from Jeremiah, the prophet. He, said, he says to God, he says, your words are what sustains me. They bring me great joy and my heart's delight. He says, when I hear from God uh, through his word, and I know God is with me, it brings me peace and, and strength and uh, guidance and sustains my life. Now, some of you might hear that, and uh, you might think, seriously, the Bible? <laughs> the Bible can bring me peace and, and joy and delight and, and strength. Maybe you think the Bible's old and outdated. Maybe you think it's difficult to understand and irrelevant. Maybe you think it's just filled with errors and unreliable. But I want to propose to you today that the Bible is, is not just trustworthy and reliable. It can bring you peace and strength and guidance and sustain you. But first, uh, to get us thinking about the importance of uh, reliability and trustworthiness in our lives, I want to play a little game with you guys. You guys up for a little game to get started? Yeah, fun little game. I'm going to call this, Is It Reliable? And here's how the game works. I'm going to play just a real brief clip for you of someone trusting, wisely or unwisely, in an object. And you've got to decide, is it Reliable and uh, Travis, we're going to need some uh, game show music, some game music. You got, yeah, that's great. That'll work really great. All right, so uh, here we go. Here's the uh, first clip. Uh, take a look. Okay. All right. Two guys, one rope. Uh, what do you think? Is it reliable? Thumbs up. Is it not reliable? Thumbs down. All right. Let's take a look. See what happens. Yeah. There we go. Not reliable. Not reliable. All right, we've got another one here. Let's take a look at this next one. Here we go. Clicks and locks into place, okay? These are steel hinges. Yeah. Perfectly safe. And you can walk up absolutely fine. All right. You know, it seems like a good uh, product. I mean, it's a ladder, right? It's a TV commercial. It's got to be good. What do you think? Is it reliable? Thumbs up. Not reliable. Thumbs down. Okay. All right, let's continue. Let's see what happens. And you will see. Oh, there we go. That I feel really yeah. That, Charlie, like that. is you popping through the hole. And that is me popping through I the hole. I watched that like a dozen times, and every time it really uh, hurts. Uh, how many of you got both right? Anybody get both right? Uh, good for you. Good job. Way to go. Is it reliable? I showed you these to illustrate the importance of reliability in our lives. We have a longing for reliability. We want a car that starts in the morning. We want a furnace that works in a polar vortex, right? Amen? We want relationships that we can count on. Nobody wants to put their trust in someone or something that's unreliable. And today is all about the reliability and the trustworthiness of something really important, the, the Bible. Today we're continuing this series. It's called I Believe in God, But. Because according to Gallup survey, 90% of Americans say they believe in God, but many of those 90% have questions or doubts, or hesitations. And today, I want to deal 
with probably the most common doubt that you will hear. I'm not sure I can trust the, the, the Bible, whether it's in this format, you know, right here, a book that you carry around, or whether you download it on your phone, same content. Is it reliable? Now, before we can answer that question, I think we need to understand what the Bible actually is. It's important to understand that the Bible is not a single book that was handed to us in its completed form at one point in uh, history. I mean, a bunch of angels didn't hand this over uh, to the earth. It's not a legal contract. It's not an owner's manual. When we read the Bible, we actually eavesdrop on an ancient spiritual journey because the Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. And it's important to understand that to understand the, the Bible. I think of it this way. The Bible is not really a single book. It's a library of books, 66 books written by over 40, or by 40 authors over a period of more than 1,000 years in three different languages on three uh, continents, which I think tells us something important about God. You ever thought about this? How much work did it take for God to coordinate the efforts of 40 there were 40 different human authors over a period of, of more than 1,000 years on three continents in three languages so that this book aims entirely in the same direction and it doesn't pull itself apart. Sometimes I take for granted. I don't appreciate the effort of God, the extraordinary effort to speak into our lives and provide this book for us. Here's another way to think of this book. Uh, this goes back many uh, years. Uh, remember the uh, era of the mixtape? Anybody remember uh, mix, mixtapes? Yeah, uh, those of you that are millennials, this is called a cassette tape uh, right here. And uh, we used to listen to music on these. And what we would do is we'd take our favorite songs and we'd figure out a way to record them on a cassette tape. And then we'd take this cassette tape, this mixtape on a road trip, and we could listen to all our favorite uh, music. And what we have right here is really kind of a mixtape of the great and tragic moments with God through history. And so inside here, we find a variety of styles. There's narrative. We've got some poetry in here, some songs. Some of it is symbolic. You've got stories of love, courage, failure. You've got words of instruction, correction, and encouragement. It's like a mixtape, a compilation put together by God himself. That's how I would describe the Bible. But is it reliable? Is it trustworthy? And this is a really important question because most of what we know and believe about God comes from right here. Most of what we know and believe about Jesus comes from here. Most of how we decide to live as followers of Jesus comes from the pages in this book. So this is a very important question because so much is at stake. Now I've got limited time today so I can't cover everything. So let's hone in Let's hone in on the New Testament, specifically the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament that tell us about Jesus. Is the information about Jesus trustworthy and reliable? So let's ask a few questions that scholars use to determine, to measure the reliability and trustworthiness of any ancient document. Uh, first, first of all, if you want to know if an ancient document is reliable, you ask where it came from. The Gospels came from four different authors writing ancient biographies about Jesus. Matthew lived with Jesus and wrote in the first person as an eyewitness. 
Mark actually received uh, what he, what he, much of what he wrote from Peter, who was an eyewitness. Luke was a doctor and also a historian who used several eyewitnesses. John traveled with Jesus and wrote as an eyewitness. And so the Gospels come to us from four authors writing ancient biographies based on eyewitnesses. Just to give you some perspective, consider Alexander the Great. Anybody familiar, heard of Alexander the Great? Have you heard that name before? Many historians believe Alexander the Great was the greatest military mind in all of history. Even though we only have one account of his life written uh, 400 years after he uh, lived. Few people question uh, few people have a hard time believing in his military uh, conquest. In comparison, for Jesus, we've got four ancient biographies based on eyewitnesses written within one generation of his life. Now, this next question that historians ask is going to make it feel like a classroom in here. Okay, it's going to get real geeky, super geeky in here for a moment. I thought about wearing a pocket protector uh, today. Uh, for this next part, because, because I really, but I really want you to hang with me, uh, because I think this information is important for you uh, to know. How many years passed uh, between the original work and the earliest copy? Here's why this is important, because you can't go to the Smithsonian Institute, you can't go to a museum and look at the original Bible or any ancient work of literature. We don't have the originals. We only have uh, copies. And so the question is, how many years passed between the original work and the earliest copy, because if the gap is wide, it's more possible that it got altered. But if the gap is small, then it's more likely to be consistent with the original. To put this into perspective, I want to compare how the New Testament stacks up with other works of, uh, of ancient literature, classic works of ancient literature. For example, maybe in high school, you know, maybe in college, you had to read Homer's Iliad. Okay? It was written in 800 B.C., earliest copy, 400 B.C., for a gap of 400 years, which uh, many, you know, many people would say is still you know, credible and consistent with the original. Uh, and then we have a, a book about Roman history that was written by uh, Tacitus. It's called The Annals, written in A.D. 100, but the earliest copy that we have is 950 years later. But historians say it is credible and consistent with the original. Now let's compare those to John's gospel from the New Testament, which was written in, 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 in AD 75. Look at this. The earliest copy is AD 125 for a gap of only 50 years. And the other gospels have similar gaps which is remarkably strong evidence that what we have today is consistent with the originals. Here, here's the next question scholars use for measuring reliability. How many copies of the original document do you have? Because the more copies that exist, ancient copies, medieval copies, the more you can compare them, and it gives you more confidence and more reliability. For Homer's uh, Iliad, We've got just over 1,800 uh, copies. Poor Tacitus, poor Tacitus, we've got about 31 uh, copies. Do you want to know how many copies we have of the uh, New Testament? I mean, it would be great, wouldn't it, if we had, you know, uh, 5,000 copies or maybe 10,000 copies? No, 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 look at this. We have over 24,000 copies of the uh, New Testament and more continue to be discovered. This is unheard of 
for ancient literature. The New Testament has no equal. It stands alone, and it points to our God making sure that we have strong evidence for the reliability and the trustworthiness of the, of the Bible. All right, stay with me for uh, one more example, okay? And uh, then we'll put away the pocket protectors and uh, move, along, move away from, move, move beyond the intellectual stuff. Take a look at this scripture from Luke's gospel. Luke writes, it was the 15th year of the rule of Emperor Tiberius. Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip was ruler of the territory of Iturea and Trachonitis. Lysanias was ruler of Abilene, and Annas and Cephas were high priests. At that time, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the uh, desert. Now, uh, please don't be impressed by my ability to pronounce those names and locations, because I am totally guessing. Okay, I have, I have no idea how to pronounce those. That's my, that's my best guess. But I want you to notice how Luke doesn't begin his biography, his gospel about Jesus. Luke doesn't say, once upon a time, or in a land far, far away. No, no, no. He connects the biography of Jesus to historical people and places. And scholars have confirmed each of these names as real people who ruled in that period with, from sources outside of the Bible. But for years, scholars doubted what Luke said because the historical record showed that uh, Lysanias here, that he ruled 50 years earlier until recently, archaeologists discovered an inscription that Lysanias ruled in Abilene from A.D. 14 to 29. Turns out there were two Lysaniases, and Luke was right. Luke was correct. Over and over, archaeology confirms the Bible as reliable. Leading archaeologist Nelson Gluck writes, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever contradicted a single Bible reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in outline or exact detail historical statements in the Bible. This is huge. Huge. Think about this. I mean, if the Bible was, was filled with errors, every year archaeological discoveries would contradict the Bible. But it's the opposite. Every year, archaeology confirms the Bible. And that can't be said about other religious books, only uh, the Bible. Now, I know we got you know, intellectual and, and scientific uh, today. Thanks for listening, because I want you to know the Bible stands alone when measured for historical reliability and trustworthiness. It's important to know. But for me personally, there's something even more important even more powerful in our discussion of the trustworthiness of the Bible that I don't want us to miss. I think it's really summed up well in Paul's, Apostle Paul's letter to a young pastor named Timothy. Paul says, God has breathed life into all Scripture. Paul says, all Scripture has got God's breath in it. In, in, in other words, in some sacred and mysterious way, this book is alive. It's not just words. It's not just poetry and songs and ideas. It has God's breath in it. And God meets us in the scriptures and invites us to not just experience him, but to be changed by them. And I think this is just so important uh, for us today. Several years ago when we moved into this building, I had, I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books in my office. 
And I decided, you know what, it's time to go through them and get rid of the ones that I don't use. And so uh, somebody told me about a store that buys used books. And I thought, great, you know, I'll take, I'll take these books over uh, to them. And so I boxed up hundreds and hundreds of books. It was a lot of work. I remember it was super hot out. It was in the summertime. I loaded up this van. But I'm just dreaming the whole time about what am I going to do with all this money that they're going to give me, hundreds of dollars at least for these books of mine that are so, so uh, valuable. Well, they went through all my books, carried all the books in, they went through all my books, and they gave me, uh, not quite, but almost enough money to pay for my lunch at McDonald's that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my books were worthless. Yeah, books are temporary. Books have a short shelf life. Books die and get thrown away. Not this one. Because this book is alive. Think about it. It has survived bannings and burnings. It has survived criticism and ridicule. And it is the best-selling book of all time. I mean, every single year, it outsells every other uh, book because people just keep reading it over and over. People never get tired of it. They never finish with it. Because God breathed life into it. This book's alive. And it can make you come alive. Now, this idea that uh, the Bible has God's breath in it is called inspiration. Here's what author N.T. Wright says. Inspiration is a shorthand way of talking about the beliefs, the beliefs that by his spirit, uh, God guided the very different writers and, and editors so that the books they produced were the books God intended his people to have. Personally, I enjoy the, the geeky classroom stuff, but I have found the Bible trustworthy because I have dived into it. And it has stirred my soul. And I have experienced the God of the Bible by reading this collection of, of books, and it has changed my life. There's a lot more that I have to learn from uh, the, the Bible, but when I allow myself to engage and enter the teachings and stories, I have met God powerfully. And that's why Paul, he doesn't just say that scripture is in, inspired uh, by God. He goes on to say that it is useful. Useful for what? Useful for teaching, for correcting. It's useful for training. Look at this line. It's useful for making our lives whole uh, 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 again, which I think is so relevant for today because many people, well-meaning people, they want to just intellectually debate the Bible. They want to just defend the Bible. But ultimately, Scripture is meant to make us whole, to bring us peace, to bring us joy and life, to make us fully alive the way that God in intended. It's not just something to study. It's something to enter into that, that changes our life. It reminds me of this story about uh, Kevin Hart. Maybe you've heard of uh, the comedian Kevin Hart. He's, uh, he's about this tall. And he's really, really uh, funny. He was interviewed on Oprah. And he uh, told a story about when he started out in comedy and he really wasn't getting very many shows. His mom told him that if he ever struggled, that she would help him out with uh, rent. And so he said, okay. And so things got a little tight. And he went to his mom and said, mom, can you help me out with rent? And she said, are you reading your Bible? And he said, mom, I don't have time for that. Can you, can you just help me out? She refused. And he walked away a little frustrated. Then he came back next month. And he said, things are really tight. Could you cut me a check? Could you help me out? She said, are you reading your Bible? He's like, mom, come on. I'm trying to build a career here. I've got stuff going on. 
and he left. And uh, he did this back and forth for the next few months until he hit rock bottom. And he goes to her and says, Mom, I'm desperate. I'm at the end. Please, can you help me out? She said, are you reading your Bible? And he just walked out and he left. He went home to his apartment and he sees a, you know, a Bible sitting on the coffee uh, table and he thinks, you know, what can it hurt? <laughs> and so he picks it up. And when he opened up his Bible, six rent checks fell out. Yeah. Now, here's what I'm not saying, okay, in that story. I'm not saying there's money in your Bible. No. But my guess is that some of us, perhaps like Kevin, have relegated uh, the Bible to an ancient book that just sits on the coffee table or maybe up on a, a shelf uh, collecting stuff, and we, uh, and we doubt that it can actually change, that it has the power to change our life. But what I've found personally is that when I allow myself to enter into the stories and the teachings in Scripture in, in both times that are, that are uh, uh, times of joy and times of trouble, it has dramatically changed my life. When I'm out walking on a trail or biking on a trail and I see a beautiful view, I think of the psalm, the heavens declare the beauty and the majesty of God. When someone has hurt me, uh, wounded me, I remember the words of Jesus, forgive others as I have forgiven you. When I fall short, when I fail, I remember the verse that says, if I confess my sin to God, he's faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me. When I stood at the casket, of a loved one, and it just ripped me apart. The verse that says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted held me up. I mean, I don't just trust the Bible because of how it stacks up with other works of ancient literature and because archaeology confirms it. I mean, those things are really important. I trust the Bible because God has met me in the scriptures in some of the most difficult moments, and he changed my heart. I changed my life. See, God intends for Scripture not just to exist in our brain, but to transform our heart and our, and our life. And so when I open it up and I read it and I study it and I pray over it, I personally experience the God of the Bible. I like the way that Peter ends puts it. He says, the Bible doesn't say, oh, look at me. It says, look through me. Look through me. What would happen if you began to really look through the Bible to your marriage, to your coworkers, to your boss that gets on your nerves, what if we began to look through the Bible to that neighbor who irritates us and always plays the music too loud, to that person who betrayed me, to that person I lost, to that situation that terrifies me, that stresses me out? What would happen if we began to look at our life through the lens of the Bible. This is where God meets us and changes our life. And so how do we actually do that? How do we, how do we look through the Bible? Well, Jesus gave us a challenge here in the Gospel of John. Jesus said, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Sounds like a dare from Jesus, doesn't it? Sounds like a challenge from Jesus. He's saying, if you want to know if I'm for real, if you want to know I am legit, Here's what you do. You take my teachings and you live them out. You try them out and see your life dramatically change. For example, Jesus said it's better to give than receive. When we hear that, we think, no way. I mean, if I wrote this book, I wouldn't have put that one in there. But those of us 
who have taken a step toward generosity, you know how true it is. It really is better to give than to receive. Jesus also said, don't hate your enemies. No, no, no. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, which, I mean, makes no sense to us. But in the moments when I've actually trusted those words, they changed my heart. The best way to discover the reliability of the teachings of Jesus is to live them out. And in two weeks, we have an opportunity to live out a teaching of Jesus. Jesus tells us that when we decide to follow him, to express, he commands us to express that decision through baptism. And if you've never taken this step of baptism, we have a great opportunity coming up for you in just uh, two weeks. And you will find that baptism is not just obeying Jesus. Baptism gives you confidence. It increases your confidence. It increases your peace and joy as a follower of Jesus. If you want to participate or if you have questions, let us know on the welcome card in the seat back in front of you. Fill that out. Drop it off at the Welcome Center. The best way to discover the reliability of Jesus' teaching is to live them out. And so I want to challenge, uh, issue a challenge for all of us regarding the scriptures. And that is this. Simply read it and live it out. That might sound really simple. Read it and live it out. But it is so powerful. According to researcher George Barna, 65% of Americans believe, say they believe, that the Bible contains the answers to life's most important question. 65%. I thought that was, was, was high. But out of those 65%, 28% of them say they rarely, if ever, read the Bible. Think about that. 65% say, I believe the Bible contains the answers to all of life's most important questions. But 28% never read the Bible. That's like starving to death right outside of Culver's. All you got to do is open the door. Start reading the scripture and put it into practice and you will see your life dramatically uh, change. So a couple of action steps for you. Number one, get a Bible, a reading plan because, you know, if you just open up the Bible, sometimes people do this, they just open up the Bible and just randomly start reading. That can be very uh, confusing. That can be very difficult. You're like six or nine chapters of genealogy. So what, what, what is the point? What, what am I looking at here? That's why I think it's always best especially when you're beginning to start with a Bible uh, reading plan. And so we put one together for you. It's a 21-day uh, Bible reading plan on the subject of peace. And if you ever struggle with stress, worry, fear, frustration, this would be a great Bible reading plan uh, for you. This is why most mornings when I get up, I begin my day by reading some scriptures. Not because I'm a pastor, not because I'm spiritual, but because I'm weak. And I need God's help and strength, and guidance. And so find a Bible a reading plan. You can grab one of ours on your way out. It's a bookmark. It'll be at the exits of the auditorium. You can also stop by the Connect Wall and pick one of these up. Here's another place you can go to for a Bible reading plan. Download this app. It's called the YouVersion app. They have hundreds of free Bible reading plans available to you. And as an added bonus, you'll have the, the scriptures, the whole Bible uh, with you on your uh, phone. Uh, by the way, if you don't have a paper copy of the Bible, there's one in front of you in the seat back. Take that one with you as our gift to you. Here's a second challenge. Read the Bible in community. As good as it is to read the scripture by yourself, it gets even better when you do it with other, other people. It could be your life group, your spouse, your family, 
could be your friends. Read it together. Dive in and, and, uh, and, and talk about, uh, be honest and talk about what you're seeing and discovering together as you read. Take this journey with other people and it'll make it even better and it'll change your life. I came across a quote that I think applies so well to this uh, uh, reading challenge. The Bible is a mirror, not binoculars. Think about that. The Bible is not binoculars. It is a, a, a mirror. So often the Bible is used to point out the flaws of other people. And then we uh, use the Bible like a grenade. We lob grenades at them. But if you open this book up humbly and honestly, and you look at it like a mirror, and you say, God, show me what I need to see in myself. Help me to become more and more of the person that you created me to be. We'll meet God in this book. And we will experience more of God's peace and God's joy and God's uh, strength. Michael uh, Jr. is a comedian and a uh, Jesus follower. And he's got a great illustration about this that I'd like you to see. Take a look. Yo, comedian Michael Jr. here. As you know, I just flat out enjoy doing comedy. But one of the things I love way more than that is being a dad. Not too long ago, I'm going through some video footage and I run into this video of my youngest daughter being born. Now, of course, I was there. I actually took the video, but I had never really experienced it from this perspective before. Now look, we're in the hospital room. She's uh, sticky and she's baby and all that stuff and she's in the middle of crying. And then I speak up. I start talking to her and watch how she responds when she hears my voice. It's okay, Portland, look, I'm right here. It's okay, it's okay. I'm right here, I'm right here. We're doing just fine. It's okay. It's okay. I'm right here. Right here. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay, baby. It's okay. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> so check it. A few minutes later, uh, the nurse starts working on her, puts her pamper on her, and uh, I'm not saying anything, and she actually starts to cry again. Then I speak up. She hears my voice and stops crying, like again. But I want you to notice what else happens after I tell her that I love her. Portland, it's okay, it's okay, it's good, it's good, it's good. I'm right here, I'm right here, I am right here. I love you, I love you, I love you. Yeah, I'm right here, I'm right here, it's okay, it's okay. That's just phenomenal. <laughs> like, whoa. Here's the thing. We'll always have times where we're not as comfortable, probably even to the point of tears, where life is just heavy. The key thing to do in those moments is to be still and listen for the Father's voice. Because he is trying to talk to you. And I can tell you what he wants you to know is that he loves you. All you gotta do is open your eyes. Yeah, there's some of us here that uh, today that are maybe like that baby and stress level is so high. Maybe, maybe you're almost shaking physically. Maybe you can feel the, the physical effects of the stress and what you need more than anything. You need to hear the voice of God, to hear the voice of God saying, do not fear. 
Maybe some of us are dealing with worry, anxiety about something in your life. And what you really need today is to hear the voice of God reminding you that, that he loves you, that he's in control, so you can relax. There's some of us who maybe have a big decision to make and we uh, need some, some wisdom. Maybe it's related to marriage or, or job or to kids. And what you really need is to hear uh, from God. But how will you hear from God? Unless you read this book. This book has God's breath in it. This book is alive. This book can make you come alive. I'm going to pray for us, and uh, I want to ask you, would you please stand with me for closing prayer? God, I want to thank you. You are so good to us. You not only show up in the person of Jesus and demonstrate your love and prove your love for us through the cross, but you also go to great lengths to, to leave behind this book for us, this, this powerful, life-giving book that teaches us, that trains us, corrects us, and brings wholeness and peace into our lives. God, thank you for this book. Thank you for its reliability and trustworthiness. Thank you for, for being such a good God, a great God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week, everybody.